Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 521st show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Soren Powell, graduate assistant at Miami University of Ohio, who is going to talk to us about the survival of the Confederate legacy. Joining us in the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. To begin with, welcome to the show, Soren. Hi there. Thank you for having me. We call the first segment of our show Fadruk Dinarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information of what you mean by the term Confederate legacy? Yeah, so in essence, uh, it's actually uh, the Confederate legacy I would actually call uh, the, the lost cause of the Confederacy. And uh, when I say the lost cause of the Confederacy, it was actually coined in 1866 by uh, Southern sympathizer, former you know, Confederate editor and author Edward Pollard in his 1866 uh, publication, uh, The Lost Cause. So it, it was actually coined as a uh, kind of a pro-Southern uh, version history of the Civil War. And uh, I, I guess the best way to describe it is it's actually kind of an umbrella term. It, it, it's really far-reaching, really wide-reaching. Uh, and I guess the best way I can explain it is to break it down into three aspects. There's the material side, which uh, is more of the Confederate symbols and statues and everything that everyone's familiar with. Uh, there's the intellectual side, which is more what I focus on. Uh, which is actual revisionist history books, uh, basically Southern politicians writing after the Civil War and during Reconstruction, basically trying to justify their actions during the Civil War and fighting you know, uh, for slavery and uh, other things like that. And then there's the execution, or, or maybe better to say action, uh, which you could say are policies that followed as a result of uh, following the Confederate legacy, such as like Jim Crow, uh, you know, unfortunately, like the Ku Klux Klan and acts of lynching. So okay. it really, it, it's kind of a, a, a really broad term. I, I focus more on the intellectual side. Okay, so let us do exactly that. Um, after the war ends in 1865, how quickly do the southern states that have lost the war, uh, some of them join back to the Union somewhat quickly, if I recall, Tennessee is quite fast. But how do quickly do they start revising um, their purpose in the war? Because I've done a little research on it myself, and pretty much in 1860, um, I, I don't know if you heard the professor, Gary um, Gallagher, he used to be a professor at the uh, University of Virginia. I heard him speak a couple of years ago, and he was mm -hmm. saying that uh, in 1860, it was all for slavery and for financial reasons. And then after the war, it starts changing. How quickly does it start changing? Uh, almost immediately. Yeah, they, they I think they had a, a, an indication that they were about to lose the war 
And, uh, you know, Edward Pollard actually started his writing process. You know, the war ended in April 1865. He started writing uh, pretty much a month or so later, uh, followed also by uh, other actors that I can talk about if you'd like. <laughs> um, well, let's focus on um, Edward Powell. Why don't you give our listeners a little background on him, please? Yeah, so Edward Pollard uh, was born into a slave family, and, and this is kind of just important for, important for context. And so he grew up in antebellum America, uh, you know, kind of uh, with the idea that slavery was beneficial for African Americans and that it, it was actually a better institution than like free market labor. Uh, and I would say that's actually kind of an outlier of the idea, but the general consensus that, you know, slavery was actually a good institution for African-Americans uh, was pretty universal in the lost cause. As far as Edward Pollard is concerned, um, when the war actually broke out, he almost, almost immediately joined the Confederate side and uh, pr started producing, I guess you could say, propaganda for the Confederacy through his newspapers. Uh, he was a known publisher of the Richmond Examiner. That was his big newspaper, but he also had his hand in other smaller newspapers. When the, when the war actually ended, he immediately jumped onto the writing process of um, writing The Lost Cause of the Confederacy, or, or I should say The Lost Cause. Um, let me see if I can find the full title here. Uh, the Lost Cause, uh, kind of a, a, I'm sorry, there's a subterm I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, but essentially in this text, it's 750 pages long. Um, where it really glorifies the Confederacy at every opportunity that it can get. For example, um, there's a battle in Virginia, uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, where uh, the USS Virginia and uh, another two, another Union ship went at the battle and. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not explaining this well. <laughs> Don't worry, continue. Uh, yeah. So essentially what I can say is at every opportunity, uh, he acts like the Confederacy was the glorious uh, military, everything was successful, and that the uh, Union was incompetent. And, and that's kind of the, you know, it, it, you could see it as a history book, but really at the meat of the argument is, is twofold. Um, it's well documented that Edward Pollard supported slavery and believed that slavery was the cause of the war. Uh, during the actual war and then before the war, he, he was full-on supporter of slavery. In The Lost Cause, however, he claims that it was actual, actually sexual, uh, sectional tension, I'm sorry, <laughs> sectional tension between the North and the South, uh, where the North was actually jealous of the superiority of Southern civilization. And so the North attacked the South uh, as, you know, as kind of a way to get revenge. Uh, for this jealousy and actually blame slavery uh, or, or use slavery as an excuse to essentially saying that, like, it was not slavery that caused the war. OK. Uh, near the conclusion. I'm sorry. There's just one more point. Oh, go ahead. Uh, near the conclusion, he says that uh, the South needs to engage in the war of ideas, quote, the war of ideas, uh, where essentially Southerners have to publish their version of the history in order to combat against northern histories that are coming out at the same time. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
Davenport, Rock Island, Milan, Coal Valley, Taylor Ridge, Bettendorf, Eldridge, Long Grove, LeClaire, Moline, East Moline, and Silvis. We're right in your neighborhood with local radio for the Quad Cities. KALA Davenport, 88.5 FM. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history examines the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show, which is referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Soren Powell, graduate assistant at Miami University of Ohio, and we're talking about the survival of the Confederate legacy. Our history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. And Rick, why don't you start us off? Thanks, John. Soren, uh, you mentioned uh, I've got like 56 questions and I only get five in this this segment. Yeah. With that attitude, it might be just two. I'm two, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the the, um, the the lost cause. Um, you, you're mentioning that, among other people, this uh, Mr. Pollard was looking to develop uh, propaganda, if you will, for interpretation of the history. Generally speaking, uh, two-part question. What, in, in a nutshell, what did the Southerners, uh, Southern elite believe uh, was the true cause of the of uh, the war and how in the world did they actually support that belief where did they get this um, uh, counterfactual view of what the war was all about yeah thank you for the question uh so honestly i would uh this is kind of what i'm arguing in my overall thesis um, I do think they were very well aware that slavery was the cause of the war. Uh, for example, uh, Vice President Alexander Stevens, uh, Confederate Vice President Alexander Stevens, uh, you know, it gave the infamous cornerstone speech in April uh, 1861, where he essentially said that slavery uh, and the inferiority of African-Americans uh, was the cornerstone of Confederate and Southern civilization. And, you know, that was 1861. In 1868, he releases his own edition of uh, a, a history book titled uh, A Constitutional War of the, or A Constitutional View of the Late War Between the States. So seven years after, you know, his cornerstone speech saying slavery is the cause for the war, slavery is the, is the reason why the Confederacy goes on, he says, uh, no, no, that slavery was not the cause of the war at all, uh, and that it was actually states' rights, uh, that Southerners had the right to secession since, you know, the creation of the nation. Uh, it was actually, you know, kind of this uh, sectional tension where, the, you know, the North uh, wanted to aggressively take power against the South uh, to kind of undermine their, their state power and their government power. Uh, so really, like in the case of uh, Alexander Stevens, uh, I think he was very well aware that slavery was the cause of the war, um, but they obfuscated the truth uh, that slavery was the cause of the war by simply, A, either outright denying it, or B, uh, downplaying the significance of slavery. Because they all kind of say that like slavery 
was kind of an excuse uh, for the North to attack the South. So they, they, slavery was definitely a part of it, but definitely like they will never say it was the cause after the war. Ed. Thanks, John. Uh, and I guess um, the obvious uh, answer to the notion that the Civil War was about states' rights, the obvious, ans- the obvious answer is a question that says, so, okay, then the Civil War would still have occurred but if slavery didn't exist, which, of course, is as nonsensical as it sounds. But, mm. um, but that's the point. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, if we're talking about the survival of the Confederate legacy, um, where are we today? That's a good question. Um, so I, I actually learned a few weeks ago, so I'm proud I can or I'm glad I can say this now. Uh, in 2018, the Southern Poverty Law Center did a study uh, on, you know, information on high schoolers, you know, studying the Civil War and found that only 8 percent of high school seniors knew that slavery was the cause of the Civil War. Um, it's, you know, kind of a shocking statistic. It's lower than 10 percent. Uh, and I would say that this is not necessarily, you know, uh, this does not necessarily mean that, you know, high school seniors are going out and espouting, you know, kind of Confederate talking points. But what it really shows is that um, the lost cause uh, effort to kind of muddy the waters around the history of the Civil War ha- has really had a, a prolonged effect on the way that we uh, teach the Civil War, uh, even to this day. All right. So when you get this published, um, Soren, are you going to go like on a book tour to Florida high schools and tell them what you're talking about? Because they've got some great laws down that are really going to sit there and help <laughs> okay, you in your effort. Okay, okay. okay. Hey, well, that was a question. I asked a question. True. No, okay. Um, <laughs> no, the answer is no. Very well cited primary sources. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Uh, back because t- I've taught Civil War history. And again, it is. Um, what you were talking about, the belief that it was state, states' rights and uh, how the, the southern states were being deni- denied uh, their constitutional being, uh, how long did it really take? I mean, we're talking about the first couple, you're talking the first couple years, but after Reconstruction is over, that's when it really takes off. Is that true? Uh, yeah, so uh, a few of the books that uh, you could say were influential to the Lost Cause actually didn't really sell really well. Uh, like, for example, scholar Albert Taylor Bledsoe, who actually was a uh, math professor at the University of Virginia before the Civil War and then was fired after joining the Confederacy. Um, his book that kind of defends secession, saying that the South had the right to defend secession, you know, it was written in the Constitution, uh, you know, in 1777 or 76, um, it, it didn't sell well. However, uh, really in the 1890s, and I would say especially the 1900s and 1910s, with kind of this the second generation of Southerners is when the lost cause kind of takes root and becomes reality for a lot of Americans. Okay. Ed, I'm sorry, Rick, I, I read um, the name. We'll go Ed, then Rick. Go ahead, Ed. Okay, um, <clears throat> Soren, um, I got a question um, about. Um, I'm sorry, we need to edit this. I got caught flat-footed here, so I can go Rick, back to ta- oh, Rick. Yeah, 
go back to Rick, please. Thank you, Ed and John. Appreciate it. <laughs> You're even here with us? No. <laughs> Soren, uh, the, the lost cause, uh, it was is the intent oh. in this Southern ideology uh, reflecting on John's comment about Reconstruction, to resurrect the South, the Southern civilization as it was before the jealous Northerners came marching into their land? Yeah, I, I would honestly argue yes. Uh, the, the kind of the traditional narrative, or not the, the narrative that's kind of uh, understood by historians now in this field is that the lost cause kind of acted as kind of a way to romanticize the Confederacy and the South before the war. So it serves as more of uh, a, a, as a memory more than action. Uh, however, based on what I've found, um, you know, with Edward Pollard calling for the war of ideas, um, who actually also believed that this war of ideas would actually produce a second rebellion. Um, and then with Jefferson Davis, who uh, released his own history book called The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government in 1881, so after Reconstruction, um, his conclusion also calls for Southerners to basically to take up arms again. Ed. Yes. Um, it's my understanding that um, a fair amount of the slave trade, um, whether it be coming, coming across from Africa or, or you know, on, on U.S. soil, was financed by northern banks and much of the um, luxury goods that were being purchased um, by wealthy Southerners were manufactured in the North. Was there yeah. anybody in the North writing that that maybe slave slavery thing is overblown and it's really not all that bad of an idea? Um, I will be honest. I'm not really sure about Northern writers. Um, I, I would say it's it's not a far fetched idea because like. Uh, you know, more conservative Democrats, uh, copperheads during the Civil War, uh, you know, anti-black sentiment uh, at the time uh, was still, you know, kind of, uh, I, I would say, uh, prevalent in the North. Uh, I, I do know that Southerners actually did capitalize on the idea that the North was the one that kind of perpetuated uh, slavery in the first place. Uh, and, and some Southerners actually argued uh, like Jefferson Davis and uh, others uh, argued that uh, the South actually actively resisted slavery uh, and the North forced uh, southern states such as Virginia to accept the slave trade and, and force slavery upon itself. Um, so kind of, you know, kind of ignoring that idea that, like, you know, this was all voluntary. Uh, but that's kind of uh, the second part of the lost causes because um, there was such, uh, you could say, anti-black sentiment in the North, and, and I would say those in the South especially, or those in the border states that still had slavery during the Civil War, um, that the lost cause was more sympathetic to them uh, and, and could probably influence them after, you know, in, in post-bellum era. Um, Soren, I had come across um, a, a factoid years ago, and I think it was when Mr. When Dr. Gallagher was speaking to us down at West Illinois, that in 1860 the slave industry was worth two billion dollars, and it was by far the wealthiest um, 
business, I hate to put it, that you're destroying um, generations of a people's um, existence, mm-hmm. but it was the wealthiest industry in the world. Uh, have you come across information like that? And of course, as Marx would say, economics is what drives, you know, is what pulls the train. Money is God. Yes. Uh, have you yeah. come across <laughs> facts like that beforehand, or am I off base with that? Uh, I am not sure if it's the, the wealthiest in the world. Um, I, I, I can certainly believe it, though. Yeah, it, it was an absolute ludicrous business. Um, and, and that's kind of what many Southerners complained about after the war ended is it, not necessarily that, you know, um, that, you know, they, they lost their source of labor that but because African-Americans were no longer property, uh, that they lost two billion dollars worth of property. And, and the idea was, is like, well, we lost the war, but you freed all our property. So you need to actually pay our debts for us. Uh, and yeah, that was kind of the idea. And and the thing about it is, uh, pretty much every elite lost cause author was involved in some way, shape, or form in in the slave trade. Um, they all either owned slaves, uh, supported slaves, or grew up with slavery. So like they had a very personally vested interest uh, monetarily to kind of push this uh, idea economically. Rick. Thank you, John. Soren, you may have mentioned in the introductory section some authors were talking about uh, justifying slavery, that it was beneficial to the slaves. How in the world can they see that, have that perspective, seeing the status of, of the slaves? Not all slave owners I know killed, raped, uh, yeah. you know, whatever their slaves, but uh, I have a difficult time connecting with somebody's perspective that slavery slavery has any benefit whatsoever where how do they justify the beneficialness of this institution yeah yeah so uh in the case of edward pollard who who grew up uh you, you know he, he was born into a slave family uh he believed that you know the the way the 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 uh Slave owner and slave relationship uh, was uh, symbiotic, where you know slave masters gave slaves uh, property, shelter, food, and everything. And the idea was is like, well, after you know they were freed, uh, they would actually die out. They would they would become extinct. African Americans would become extinct uh, because they were incapable of. Uh, basically producing for themselves. The, the real idea behind slavery was that uh, it, it was a civilizing institution and that if we were to return African-Americans back to Africa, which some many supported, uh, they would return back to kind of a, a barbaric state. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily, you know, it, it's, it, it's completely detached from reality. Um, but in the case of Edward Pollard, he actually wrote a book in 1858 uh, defending slavery institution because he said, well, the slaves that were you know, owned by my family were happy and were doing well. Um, so really, like, um, it, it's all kind of anecdotal, um, honestly kind of ignoring uh, the, the brutalities of it or, or simply outright lying um, in, in some instances. Ed. Yes. Um, back to uh, bringing us up to speed where we are today. 
Um, do you know if, if there's been a resurgence of the Klan and other such organizations? Um, and we're all familiar with the prejudices that seem to be re-rearing their ugly heads. Um, is this a continuation of the past, or is this something that's just kind of periodically going to bubble up? Because one of the things that racism allows people to do is to feel superior to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the original clan was formed uh, at the very end of 1865 by former Confederate soldiers uh, in Pulsaki, Tennessee. And, and so, you know, the Confederacy is directly linked to the original Ku Klux Klan. Uh, that was the first iteration, uh, which was actually killed by Congress um, with the Ku Klux Klan Act. Uh, let me look up uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1870 and 1871, which actually had federal, uh, a federal crackdown on the original. Uh, the second wave of the Klan came in the 1910s and 1920s, uh, really because of anti-immigration and actually anti-Catholic sentiments. And, and the second iteration uh, was much bigger than the first iteration. The first iteration, uh, there was no national organization. It was all kind of organic, um, kind of, uh, you know, local. Uh, so there was no real national establishment. Uh, the third iteration kind of came around with, you know, the civil rights movement. Uh, and, and by that point, it actually it was different. And it, I, I still believe it is different to this day, uh, where it's actually more familial. So meaning like uh, it, you're in the Klan because your dad is in the Klan, because your grandpa was in the Klan. So uh, it, it's, it's almost become a, a family thing to be in the Klan now. Uh, so in the instance of uh, the, the KKK, uh, I would still say that it is the case. As far as other hate groups that uh, use Confederate symbols, uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I would say uh, maybe that is a development of kind of uh, contemporary politics that we're seeing today. Okay, um, Soren, it's customary that we give our guests the last word on the show. Um, for our last minute or two, why do you think knowing about the survival of the Confederate legacy is relevant in today's world? Yeah, so uh, we, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone knows we are still talking about the Confederacy uh, to this day and, and having to deal with and discuss what do we do about all these images and symbols and, and cultural ideas uh, that are surrounding the Confederacy. And I, I think, honestly, a lot of it comes from, or, or a lot of the misunderstanding uh, of these Confederate symbols and why people may still fly them uh, is not fully malice as much as it is uh, honestly just being unaware of the material at hand. Um, like I, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with Alexander Stevens' cornerstone speech, uh, you know, for example. Um, so I, I would honestly say that the texts, the Lost Cause original like uh, history books that were produced uh, after the war. Um, I, I, I would honestly feel bad if anyone actually picked them up and tried reading them because they're not very good. Um, but as far as understanding the ideas, it's it kind of had a, an effect on how we teach history and how we view the Civil War uh, ever since its creation over 150 years ago.
Okay. When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 521st show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zaptel. My name is John Keeley, and we would like to thank our noted guest, Soren Powell, graduate assistant at Miami University of Ohio, who talked with us about the survival of the Confederate legacy. The history buffs for today's show were Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.